Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 26th of April 2015, entitled Facing Your Past Part 1. And the Bible reading is taken from Genesis chapter 32, verses 1 to 32. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I was saying, in, in, we've been looking through the Genesis account, but I really, I really want us to jump ahead today and don't ask me why. I just absolutely was impressed, uh, actually for a couple of weeks now, that this is where we should be today. God knows who's going to be here. Uh, I'm usually a, a guy that, you know, tries to, uh, to stick to order to keep me from getting confused. But when God points otherwise, I want to always be open to that. And I really want us to think on the, the thought this morning, if you would, and we'll figure out how to number it and put it into the series later. But on facing your past... In Genesis chapter 32, we have a great example of this, and that's where we want to take our reading this morning. Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse 1, I do invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's precious and holy word, beginning in Genesis chapter 32 and verse 1. And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall you speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants and women servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find grace in thy sight. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee with four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and herds and the camels into two bands. And said, if, if Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which says unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good, and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude, and he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand a present from Esau, his brother, 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats and 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milch camels with their colts, 40 kine and 10 bulls, 20 she-asses and 10 foals. And he delivered them unto the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves, and sent unto his servants, Pass over before me and put a space betwixt drove and drove. He commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth thee and asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou? 
And whither goest thou? And whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my Lord Esau, and behold, also he is behind us. And so commanded he the second and the third, and all that followed the drove, saying, On this manner shall you speak unto Esau when you find him. And say ye moreover, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us, for he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me, and afterward I will come see his face, peradventure he will accept of me. So went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company. He arose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. When he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob called the name of the place Penal. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not out of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh, and to this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Now, Lord, we realize as we look here today, Lord, there is so much there. We pray that you would give us this day what we need because, Lord, it is not man's wisdom nor man's understanding at all. It's that that can only come from you. You know each heart. You know each need. Speak to us that which we need. May we respond in whatever way is necessary in our lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. If you remember some time, I can't remember now. It's probably a, a couple of years back. We talked about this thing called phobias. And, and of course, at that time, we were looking at what actually are some good phobias. There are some things that it is actually good to fear. But in most cases, fear is not something that, that we want in our lives. Matter of fact, it's not manly to be afraid of anything. We all somehow want to be tough and show that we're not afraid. But yet... In truth, we're all afraid of something. We're all afraid of some things. But sometimes we're just afraid to face that fear or we're afraid to let that fear go through. I ran off a list and I find an even longer list now. I don't know how many hundred are on here, but this is pages of literally phobias that have names for it. And interestingly enough, I, I went and did a little research to find out what about the fear of this and the fear of that. And there are actually some fears that people haven't even given names to yet. 
but the list goes on and on and on. I think there's about 14 pages here, and it's pretty small writing of the of the known phobias that do have have names. And of course, some of them we're fairly familiar with. Most of us know what claustrophobia is when someone is has a fear of spaces or the lack of space. More correctly. Most of us know what uh, arachnophobia is because of the, the fear of spiders and things like that. But I found a couple when I was looking through this list that I thought, huh, I'm sure we've got some of that around our church. And one of them is called ecclesiophobia. Guess what ecclesiophobia is? Fear of church. We know what ecclesia is. We did our study of the church. Well, ecclesiophobia is people that have a fear of church. And I know that there's a lot of people uh, that have a fear of church. And then there's one that uh, they hit a little closer home to me, and that's uh, homilophobia. I wonder what homilophobia is. What about if I said a homily? What is a homily? <laughs> it's another word for a sermon. Homilophobia is people that are afraid of sermons. They're afraid of what the preacher is going to, uh, uh, to preach. Uh, but uh, there are lots and lots and lots of fears. And, uh, and most of them are, are fears that... Uh, uh, that we don't like to deal with. Uh, they're not easy for us to deal with. Uh, but I remember how many of you, don't worry, we won't tell everybody that you've gotten too worldly. How many of you ever seen the Christmas movie called Home Alone? A lot of you have seen it. Well, Home Alone, I mean, I guess you can look at it from a lot of different perspectives. I mean, <laughs> Of course, you know, the main, the main thing is this, 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 this young lad that's been left home alone and he's got to face these really intelligent thieves uh, that are trying to get the best of him. And, uh, and we see uh, a, a lot of comedy that takes place in the process of that. And, uh, and of course, you know, it, it goes through and, and it gets a lot of laughs out of people. Uh, I'm not real keen on some of the attitudes. I think, boy, you know, if my kid had that kind of attitude towards, towards the parents at home. But there's an underlining story in there as well, if you've seen it. And, uh, and it's one that lies a little bit behind the scenes. If you remember, you know, early in that movie, uh, we find that there is a great fear of the old man that lives next door. Why do the children in the neighborhood have such a fear of that old man? Because of things they've heard. They've heard all these things about him and all the things that he will do. And, and even, you know, just the looks every time they see him, they just, they literally, you know, are fearful and they run the other direction and whatnot. Well, a lot of things happen, but during the course of that movie there, while actually takes place in the church, uh, when we find that uh, uh, the young lad and, and the old man end up in the church at the, at the same time. And, and of course, we find that they get to carrying on in a, in a conversation and come to find out, everything that they had feared about that old man wasn't really true at all. As a matter of fact, when they come to find out, he was a really, a really nice old gentleman that was hurting a lot because he had literally lost the relationship with his son many, many years ago, who has now grown. He was there in the church to hear his granddaughter sing in the Christmas cantata that they were putting on because that's the only way that he could see her because they had no personal access and, and one of the things is, is that all that was come about when they got to talking because that he feared what the consequences were of things that had happened many, many, many years ago with his son. And he'd never been willing to make that relationship right because he was fearful of his son rejecting him. And yet he's going all through these years with a fear of being rejected when a 
What has he got to lose? And of course, as the movie goes on, we find that a lot of things happen. But at the close of that movie, it closes with a scene of the old man and his son and his daughter-in-law and his little grandchild in the garden because he had made that contact. He had faced those fears. He had overcome those fears, and that relationship had been mended. I say that because so many times as Christians, as believers, we go through life with fears of the consequences of things that have happened in our past. Now, there's a lot of things to keep in mind. And of course, one of the things that we looked at recently and we've looked at before is, of course, the Apostle Paul telling us to forget those things which are behind and press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But we also know that there's only one way to forget the past, and that's to deal with the past. Many relationships are hurt between family and between friends, people that maybe one time had a close relationship because of fear of things, of consequences, of things that have gone on in the past. Unbelievers many times, they have a, a fear of their past. Is why that they, they don't come to God because they've been so terrible here, so terrible there and all that. And there's all kinds of things. All, all I want you to grasp this morning is that fears are real. We all have them. And many times fear can be extremely destructive in our lives, in our relationships with each other, and in our relationships with God. As we look at this passage of Scripture here in Genesis chapter 32, I want us to keep in mind a couple of things. Facing our past can be an extremely difficult thing to do sometimes. It's difficult for the lost person to come face to face with their sin. It's not an enjoyable thing to have to face that sin and the consequences of that sin. As a matter of fact, Christians many times have to come face to face with their sin as well. It's essential. It's necessary. It can't be dealt with until we face it. We find that for all human beings, whether we speak of the physical or of the emotional or of the spiritual, facing the past is hard to do for all kinds of reasons. And yet, it's only when we face it genuinely and deal with it that we can get that peace that comes because there's always turmoil when that fear is there, when there's things that we're afraid to deal with and we fear the consequences and we fear what might be. We'll never give peace until we face it and we deal with it. Of course, many times you know in sermons that I will take a passage of Scripture and we'll try to break it down and we'll try to look at it. And we often will use illustrations from the world around us to try to, to make personal application of that in our lives. Well, today, I actually want to do something a little different because I really want us to let the Scripture itself be the illustration. I want us to use the Scripture as an illustration in the life of Jacob here to make personal application in our lives. God gave us these things for a reason, not just to fill up pages. There are many things that we can take from this, but one of the things for certain is that he shows us how that we can face our past. 
when we're challenged to face something in our past, we'll often try to simply block it out by running away from it because of that fear. We're fearful of what it meant at the time or what it might mean now. We're fearful of what it brought into our lives or what it might still bring into our lives. We're fearful of what it cost us then or what it might cost us now. We fear for all kinds of reasons, but in the end, it's fear. Today, I want to challenge you, whoever you are, to face your past. What do you fear about facing your past? What is in your past that you're fearful of? Do you fear what it might cost you, how it might change you? Do you fear the consequences of facing up to it? Well, if you're to face your past, and if you're going to be victorious over it, then I believe one of the first principles, and this is not meant to deal with every, the first principle that we see here certainly with Jacob is if we're going to face our past, we need to face the fear. We need to face the fear. You see, how do we face our fear? Well, first of all, may I say you need to recognize your position. You need to realize, understand, recognize where you are, what it is that you're facing, what choices that you have. You see, Jacob had put one crisis behind him when he settled his affairs with Laban after spending 20 years there away from his family because of something that happened when he stole that birthright. Matter of fact, if you look back into the previous chapter, in chapter 31 there in your Bibles, notice how that, what that chapter says there in verse 41 and 42, thus have I been 20 years in thy house, speaking to Laban, I served thee 14 years for thy two daughters and six years for thy cattle, and thou hast changed my wages 10 times, except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me. Surely thou hadst sent me away now empty. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked thee yesternight. So Jacob had run. And Jacob had run because of fear of what Esau would do to him. And we find that he spent these 20 years here, which he's gone through a lot of things in that, in that 20 years. But only by God's grace, only by God's intervention, did he escape the harm, he says here from Laban, when he had caught up to him. In the end, a line had been drawn in the sand, as we say, I guess probably drawn in a pile of rocks there. There was no turning back. Notice what it says in verse 52. This heap be witness and this pillar be witness that I will not pass over this heap to thee and thou shalt not pass over this heap and this pillar unto me for harm. Jacob, first of all, had to recognize his position where he was there with Laban. And we find that he had to understand where he was if he was to decide where he was going. Jacob was, in fact... Caught in the middle, we hear the, the term sometimes caught between a rock and a hard spot. Well, he had Laban behind him. 
And he had an agreement never ever to return that way again. Those bridges were burnt. Or if he did, he would face the wrath of Laban if he went that direction. If he went the other way, if he went forward, he had the uncertainty of this fear that he'd been running from for 20 years with his brother Esau and the revenge that he had promised upon him because of the way he had deceived that brother 20 years before. So Jacob, he's there. He recognizes where he is. <laughs> he recognizes that, you know, that whatever he does, he's got to, he's got to face the past. Verse 1 says, and Jacob went on his way. There's only one thing to do. <laughs> in order for him to move forward, in order for him to move forward in his life, he had to face his past before that he could move forward. He had cheated his brother Esau out of his birthright. Esau had vowed to kill him following their father Isaac's death. It was a genuine threat. Undoubtedly, Jacob could have maybe tried to figure out some of the choices in his life to avoid facing Esau, but he could never make any other choice and never have peace. He'd been running and hiding for 20 years. It would forever haunt him. He would forever be looking over his shoulder. Facing the past can be hard. Sometimes it can even get messy. Sometimes we have to put in a place, be put in a place that we're forced to have to face something that is uncomfortable for us. Oftentimes our past affects our present very, very much. Sometimes our past can even endanger our future. Sometimes it is literally, folks, pardon the expression, it's just a, a cesspool that we don't want to stir up because it's something so nasty in our, in, our, in our past. But I can promise you this, if it's a pool now, if it's left unattended and not faced, it'll probably turn into a tidal wave later. It'll wipe you out for sure. I can promise you, It'll wipe out your peace and it'll destroy a part of you that you'll never, ever, ever be able to have unless you're willing to face it. Jacob had reached a point that he knew after 20 years of running from something in his past, he knew that in order to move forward despite all the fears and all the dangers, he had to face that past. He had to face those fears he recognized his position. He faced those fears. Jacob went on his way. But notice, it was only then, only when he had recognized his position that he could secondly realize the providence. What happened when he went on his way? What do you mean, preacher? Well, first of all, he had to recognize his position. He had to make the move. And then secondly, and the angels of God met him. <laughs> Jacob went on his way, and then the angels of God met him. You see, first of all, he himself, after realizing his position, after starting and making that step, he could then realize the divine providence of God. God met 
there with him. Jacob had recognized his position. He chose to face those fears. And it was when he made a move to do something about it. He saw God's divine intervention. He saw God at work. When the angels of God met him, it clearly would have been what he needed to, to give him that encouragement that he needed. It surely would have reminded him of that time in his past when he met God there at Bethel, when he set up those stones of remembrance that had been there when he was leaving, when he was fleeing, that God had made a glorious, glorious promise to this man. Look back in chapter 28, Genesis chapter 28. Notice the promise that God had made when he met with Jacob. Verse 10 says, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. Behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. <laughs> Jacob had quite a promise that God had, had made to him there. I'm sure that <laughs> when he made this move to face his fears, when he realized his position and did something about it, he realized that God's promise was sure. God was there. God was intervening. Now, he is on his return journey to where God had made that promise to him. When you make a move to face your past, by facing those fears, whatever they might be, by moving out, by trusting God, God will be right there. Just as he had promised Jacob all those years before, 20 years past, I will be with you. I will bring you back here. This was God's promise to him. For 20 years, he hadn't seen that fulfilled because he was fearing his past. He wasn't facing it. He was fearing it. But when he faced those fears, when he recognized where he was, the choices that he had. And when he made that move in trusting God to do that, God was right there just as he had promised. As soon as he went on his way, there were the angels of God right there with him. God had promised never to leave Jacob, never to forsake him. <laughs> now that's the same promise that's carried over into the New Testament for every one of you that are a child of God today, that he'll never leave you that he'll never forsake you, 
That which he has planned for your life will be accomplished. You know my great love, and I'm not going to get there this morning in Romans chapter 8, just as sure as you've been saved, as you've been born again, just as sure as God called you, just as sure as he justified you, I promise you, he will glorify you. <laughs> that day is coming. God has a plan. One day you will be just like Jesus. He's promised to never leave you. Notice what he says here in the next verse. And when Jacob saw them, the angels, he said, this is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Now, this is God's host. Literally, you can translate that word as camp. This is God's camp. This is God's place. This is where God is at. <laughs> he called it, he used a play on words here. This is God's camp. Mahanaim means double camp. This is God's camp. This is where I am at, and this is where God is at. This is God's camp, the same place that my camp is. God's right here with me where I'm at. You see, Jacob went on his way. As soon as he did, God was there, divine interventions. His angels were right there with him. And when Jacob saw them, he knew, he knew this is God's place and this is my place. We are here together. You see, now, in facing his fears, he first of all had to recognize his own position. Where this past 20 years had gotten him, where he was at, and what choices that he had. When he made his first move, then we find that God was right there with him. He had recognized his position, and then he had realized the providence of God. And that leads you to notice what we see in the next couple of verses. Then he responded with piety. What do you mean? With goodness, with humility. Notice what he says here in verse 3. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith, Thus I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. You see, by sending in his messengers, he's showing his respect for Esau. He could have just, out of his fears, just tried to slip in unknowingly. He could have tried to come in because he thought, well, if I surprise him, I can get the, the upper hand and I can go in with power to where he wouldn't dare come against me. But he instructs them. Do you notice the words that he uses there? <laughs> How are they to address Esau? My, what's the next word? Lord Esau. My Lord Esau. But how is he? Thy servant Jacob. <laughs> He told his messengers, you address him as Lord, but you call me the servant. <laughs> you see, he's showing his humility there. We find that he goes on and he tells him that his servant Jacob says, I've sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now, and I have oxen and asses, flocks, men servants, women servants, and I've sent to tell my Lord that I may find grace in thy sight. He just lays it all out on the table. He tells Esau where he's been and where he's at and, and what he's got in mind and what he's doing. He's come with his family. He's come with all of his possessions. 
to make things right. And even though, even though Jacob's possessions were great, he doesn't come in here showing them off or threatening in any way and say, oh, look how successful that I've been while I've been away. He comes with piety and humility. He knows he has wronged his brother. He doesn't deserve anything good from, from Esau. He's coming humbly to find grace in his eyes. He's the one that wronged his brother. He's been running from the fear of the consequences of that. Now he's facing up to it, and he's responding to his brother in goodness. But notice verse 6, and the messenger returned to Jacob saying, we came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and 400 men with him. <laughs> Jacob, this doesn't seem to be working out exactly the way you planned it. You know, he's done the right thing. But what does he seem to be getting in return here? What does it look like? Why was Esau coming with 400 men if he didn't mean to do him any harm? Why was he coming with such strength before him? You're doing what's right. <laughs> but it sure doesn't look like that things are going as they should in return. Fact is, we don't really know fully why Esau was bringing 400 men or what his intentions were because God doesn't tell us at this point. We can speculate if we want to. It is quite possible that his first instinct when he heard about Jacob returning, maybe he did still have that revenge in his heart and maybe he was going with 400 men because he was still determined to destroy his brother. Doesn't really seem like too, such a strange thing to, to be on his mind. We need not necessarily expect everything to be as easy and straightforward for everyone else to do what they're supposed to do just because we're doing what we're supposed to do. Sometimes it takes some real effort to hang on to those promises that God has made. I've said many, many times, some of you here, I've had the privilege of going through premarital counseling before you ever tied that knot with each other. Other families, many times over the years, I've had that tremendous challenge. Sometimes counseling with husbands and wives that their relationships had been hurt in some way because of things done in the past. There's one piece of information that I've always, always given every one of them and given to you. You do what's right. No matter how they're responding, no matter what they're doing to you, no matter if they deserve something bad from you, you know, in the flesh, you're always going to want to get even. You're going to always want to, you know, at the very least, just shut them off because they're being so nasty or whatever. I've always told all of you as a congregation, as a child of God, to be right with God. The onus is always on you. If you've offended someone as Jacob had offended his brother, the onus was upon Jacob to go to his brother. But guess what? 
If you've been offended by somebody else, the onus is upon you to go to the person that offended you. In other words, as a believer, it's always upon us to do everything in our power to make sure that things are made right. We don't do it because people deserve it. If God treated us with what we deserved, then we would never experience his grace. <laughs> we would never, ever, ever have the privilege of being his children. But we find that Jacob's doing what's right here, but he must have been having some second thoughts. And as a matter of fact, we know he did because notice what it says in the next two verses. Then Jacob was greatly, what's the next word in your Bible? Afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and herds and the camels into two bands and said, if Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. Jacob was actually fearing the possibility of the worst here. Okay, God, I've done what's right. I've come where you've told me to come. I know that you're there with me. I've sent to my brother. I've tried to do good. I've tried to be humble. And yet, boy, it looks like I'm about to be destroyed here. It looks like this plan isn't working out like that we thought that it might. Did he panic and run? No. He still had to face those fears. They were real. Maybe Esau does mean him harm. What does he do? He divides his people into two companies so that at least if Esau's coming to destroy them, his thinking is that at least some of them may be able to escape and survive. He's not putting up to fight against Esau in any way, but he is taking precautions here. The consequences of his past could be catching up to him. And at this point... One thing that he is doing that I think is very important, he's not showing concern for himself by running and hiding from it. He is showing concern for the people around him that he cares for. <laughs> That's the one. He's going to be facing Esau one way or the other. <laughs> but he's showing concern for those around him that he cares for of the consequences that his past might be bringing upon them. He doesn't want his whole family, to suffer because of his past sins. Too often, at this point, the old flesh just wants to raise up and get in the way, and what it really wants to look out for is number one. <laughs> How can I be safe? How can I avoid the danger? Jacob doesn't know what the future holds here, but it is not looking good. Sometimes facing your past means, first of all, facing the fears. He tried to do that. These three steps, he recognized his position. And he made the move to face those fears. He realized the providence of God in being there to fulfill his promises that he had made to him. He responded with piety, sought grace, the one that he had wronged. He had to say, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> Those words are hard sometimes, aren't they? He tries to do the right thing. 
but it still all seems to be falling in around him. There seems to be no hope. Where does he go from here? Well, in facing your past, just as Jacob had to, you not only need to face the fears, but most likely along the way, and especially when those things aren't going as perfectly well as you might want them to, you might not only need to face the fears, you might need to find the strength. <laughs> you might need to find the strength to stand and to do what you ought to do. Now, I'm going to stop there for this morning because what I want to come back, and I want, to want you to grasp here because, oh, God, the glory of no clocks in heaven. <laughs> you might say the glory of not having to endure another sermon for any longer. But I want you to grasp from this account the same thing that I did when looking at this. We all, we all have things in our past that we're not proud of. There's only one way to ever put the past behind you and press towards that mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, and that's to face your past. It's sometimes so tempting just to sweep it under the carpet, to pretend that it wasn't there, to pretend that it didn't happen, to pretend that we don't have to face it, but it never goes anywhere. We find that we have to first be willing to face our past, to face our sins as an unbeliever in order to come to God and give those things to God. And no, we've sang it this morning. It's our whole purpose in being here. Everything is in Jesus Christ. We can face our past because Jesus Christ has paid for our past. He paid it in full for every sin that you've committed, for everything that you did wrong. And the great thing about that is he already knew that. He knew where you were going to fail. He knew every sin that you would commit before he went to the cross and died for you. Facing your past. First of all, this morning, face the fears face the fears. Later on in the sermon, I've got some of those New Testament promises to, to remind you of, but I want to just give you one this morning that is there and it's so clear to you, and that's in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. Be Anxious for nothing. Don't worry about all those things. Put those anxieties aside. Be careful for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Oh, this morning, it is essential. As I look around this congregation this morning, as far as I know, you're all saved, you've had your sins forgiven, and you're on your way to heaven. But really, only God knows that for sure, and uh, hopefully you. If you're here this morning, if there's any doubt that you've ever faced your past, your sins, by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I encourage you this day, please, 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 
Don't put it off another day. But Christians, life is real. And life is full of mine more than a lot of people's of messing up, of making mistakes, of doing things and saying things wrong. We need to face our past. Yes, we need to put our past behind us, but we must first face it. We can't run from it like Jacob was trying. After 20 years of running, he came back to face those fears. May I say to you today, face those fears because in Jesus Christ, we will talk more next week, God willing, about finding the strength to be able to deal with facing the past. But today, may I just leave you that thought? Don't let your fears take away your peace. You can have a peace that passes all understanding. It makes absolutely no sense, but you can only find that in Jesus Christ. Father, this morning, oh, Lord, you know how much that we love you and we love your word. You know how much this preacher loves preaching. How much I could just preach on and on here this morning, but we know that our time is limited in this time that we have together, and I just pray this day that you would help us take from this great account that you give us of Jacob in the Scriptures and help us, Lord, through this to be able to face our past, whatever is there, that we can face it so that we can put it behind us, so that we can move on, because many times the only way that we can move forward to by first facing the past and facing the fears that go along with that. So today, help us, help us to stand upon the promises that you've made to us. Help us to know what you've promised for us. Lord, the world cannot take our future away from us. That future is assured because of what Jesus Christ did when he not only rose, but when he arose the third day. Lord, that great promise that one day he is returning for us and we will be called up and we will be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. And Lord, these, these old sinful bodies will be made anew. So Lord, we pray today. You know the hearts of each one here. I pray earnestly, Lord, that if there's anyone here that's never genuinely been born again, I don't care what religious experiences they may have had. If they have not genuinely been born again, may the power of your Spirit convict them and show them that today. Lord, may they be willing to come to us. May they be willing to face whatever fears they might have. May we go to your Word. Show them the promises that you've made to them to forgive them for their sins. Help them this day to face that fear, whatever it is. And for every believer here, Father, we pray that you would help them to know, Lord, whatever's in their past, Lord, they can face it in Christ. The first step in facing their past is to face their fears. So I pray today that you'd help us not to have our futures dictated to us by fears of the past, but help us, Lord, in Jesus Christ to rest assured in that Hope that is sure in him, that peace that passes all understanding. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.